I think the public health order is unreasonable. Tonight, the churches that remain unrepentant about defying COVID orders, plus. Stay home, you can save an innocent life. One family's holiday warning after losing a loved one to COVID-19. And the new high-tech listening devices that could save Orca lives. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. For the fourth weekend in a row, a number of Fraser Valley churches have gone ahead with in-person services in flagrant violation of a provincial health order. An outdoor gathering has been held in support of the churches as government officials and police warn of a crackdown on those violating COVID safety rules. Grace Key has our top story. Parishioners attend Sunday morning services at Free Grace Baptist Church in Chilliwack in defiance of the public health order. Most did not want to comment. One man who doesn't normally attend the church said he came because it's one of the few that's open. If we just fold and say, oh, okay, you know, we will uh, buckle to whatever restrictions the government arbitrarily decides to put in place, uh, then the future of our society is not particularly bright. Um, we're basically heading towards a, a period of authoritarianism. Once again, Chilliwack RCMP investigated the same three churches that have been holding in-person services in recent weeks. RCMP have not issued any violation tickets. Instead, church organizers could be looking at charges. So on the first two Sundays of the public health order, which pertain to in-person congregation, the Chilliwack RCMP took an approach of education and awareness, hoping that we would gain voluntary compliance. Um, last week was the third week, and we we did have some places of worship that uh, continued to violate the public health order and so that's why we took the measures that we did in terms of submitting a report to BC Prosecution Service regarding those violations. A couple of dozen people gathered at Central Community Park in Chilliwack in support of faith-based services. The province has commented on churches that continuously defy the public health order. They will be ticketed again and again and again. Uh, for each time uh, they contravene these orders. Some faith-based organizations have argued the COVID restrictions violate the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. RCMP reminded people at the faith-based gathering at Central Community Park about the current public health order. Grace Key, Global News. The organizer of a protest against COVID restrictions in Kelowna yesterday has been fined $2,300 for violating health and safety orders. Hundreds attended the rally near Stewart Park, carrying signs along Bernard Avenue. Kelowna RCMP say the self-identified organizer of the event was ticketed for being in contravention of the gatherings and events order. Mounties are encouraging everyone to comply with the provincial health orders, so enforcement isn't required. A heartbreaking reminder tonight of why everyone needs to follow public health orders to stop the spread and save lives. A Burnaby woman has lost her grandfather to the virus earlier this week, even though her family says they did everything they were supposed to do to keep each other safe. Kristen Robinson has the story. Every minute and every hour, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. It's just like a big hole in my heart. I feel like my heart just was taken out of my body and just shattered because 
He literally was my best friend. Vijay Karana, the life of the party when he and his wife renewed their vows on their 50th anniversary. Just under two years later, and despite her family following all the rules, Smiley Karana says COVID killed her grandfather. And we're not sure who brought it in. We just know it came and no one realized until it was too late. Smiley lives by herself in Burnaby. Her grandparents live with her uncle in Abbotsford. The family had stopped all gatherings and were only visiting virtually or outside at a safe distance. And my uncle made sure that nobody comes into the house, nobody's visiting him, and, you know, all of our goal was uh, to protect our grandparents because they're the most vulnerable. Because they'd taken steps to prevent exposure, Smiley didn't suspect COVID when her grandparents mentioned they weren't feeling well earlier this month. Karana was admitted to hospital December 7th, bypass surgery in 2017 made him vulnerable to health complications. Still... The family was shocked when the 69-year-old died the next morning and a post-mortem test revealed he had COVID. Nobody deserves to go like that. We were waiting for that day that we could hug each other again. While the Karanas grieve the loss alone, Smiley's grandmother, who was also infected, is recovering from the virus at home. We all hope she's strong. I believe in her. Smiley is sharing her heartbreak on social media, in the hopes it will stop unsuspecting super spreaders from gathering over the holidays. Not celebrating Christmas together this year could mean another Christmas together. Um, that's something I'll never get back with my grandpa. Um, so it's just, you know, it's one Christmas, it's one season. If you miss it, stay home. You can save an innocent life. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A small rural community in the central interior continues to battle a surge in COVID cases. A team of specialized paramedics arrived in Fort St. James on Tuesday and is expected to stay for a while. It's the first time the highly trained rapid response team has been deployed. There are at least 40 active cases in the northern health region. The district says it's working with the provincial and health agencies, the province rather, and health agencies to monitor and respond to the situation. In a message posted online, the mayor urges everyone to follow public health guidance and avoid spreading the virus and fear. Having 40 confirmed cases from a total area population of 4,500 people can in no way be described as an outbreak. From the limited information being provided to me, I understand that our local COVID-19 cases consist of connected groups of individuals, a family group, the homeless shelter group as examples, rather than being widespread throughout the entire community. Let's bring in Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Keith, COVID cases remain disturbingly high in many parts of BC, and there's been a, a bit of a shift in hot spots. What have you been noticing? Yeah, well, we're going to see more evidence of that tomorrow, Colleen, with the numbers uh, coming out for three days worth of cases. So the last two Mondays have seen more than 2,000 cases reported, uh, likely to be that again tomorrow. We've seen our, our daily case drop uh, average drop more often than not, I think 10 out of the last 13 days. But take a look at these numbers. Keep these numbers in mind as we listen to the briefing tomorrow. Our current seven-day case average is now 666 a day, rather ominous number. Current seven-day fatality average, this is very troubling, is 
is 14 a day. We hit a high of, of 28 last week. And this is uh, what the, in terms of what you referred to, Colleen, uh, the interior northern daily case numbers now exceed Vancouver Coastal Health a couple days now. So what we've seen here is a shift uh, from Vancouver Coastal, which has basically leveled the curve a bit, leveled the case numbers for about a week now, but we're seeing a corresponding increase in the Interior Health Authority in particular, particularly Central Okanagan and the Northern Health Authority, largely because of that Fort St. John's, Fort St. James uh, cluster out there, but by no means the only reason why those two health authorities are going up. So great news that Vancouver Coastal's starting to leveling the curve. Fraser continues to post big numbers, and now we're starting to see a noticeable uptick in Fraser Health and uh, Interior Health, and we'll see if that holds true tomorrow as well. And we'll get more information about that first shipment of vaccines as well. Looking forward to it. Yes. Thanks, Keith. Investigators are underway. Investigations are underway into a suspected arson that badly damaged a home in Chilliwack. Crews from six fire halls were called to the home in the 45,000 block of Reese Avenue just before five o'clock this morning. The building sustained significant smoke and water damage. No one was living there at the time. The Chilliwack Fire Department reminds owners that vacant homes have an increased risk of vandalism, theft and fire damage. RCMP are looking for dash cam footage after a pedestrian was struck and killed while trying to cross a high, cross highway 19A near Nanaimo. Matthews say it happened just before 7 o'clock Friday night on the Island Highway near Mary Ellen Drive and the Alds Road intersection. Witnesses say the man crossed two northbound lanes and was heading into the southbound lanes when he was hit by two vehicles. He died at the scene. The two vehicles are undergoing mechanical inspections. The arrest of a black SFU graduate student on campus Friday night is raising questions among the student body. Part of the incident was captured on cell phone video. Burnaby RCMP say campus security called police for help with a man familiar to them who was refusing to leave the dining hall. Police say the responding officer found the man circling the room and yelling at campus security. De-escalation techniques were used and the man was repeatedly asked to leave before police tried to arrest him and a struggle ensued. Police say pepper spray was deployed and a taser used after the man put the officer in a chokehold. A student witness describes the incident differently. The police officer didn't try to calm the situation down further and do any fact-finding and then he rushed to violently arrest him. This is not the first time something like this has happened at SFU, and this is also coming after conversations that we've had directly with campus public security about police presence on campus and about the dangers of calling police, particularly on black people. RCMP say the man they arrested was taken to hospital and treated for minor injuries from the taser, then released to medical staff after being apprehended under the Mental Health Act. Police say he could potentially face charges of causing a disturbance and assaulting a police officer. A project designed to protect our endangered southern resident orcas is up and running, and it's producing some positive results. As Paul Johnson reports, groundbreaking technology has been deployed to track the impact of one of their greatest threats noise. You're listening to the vocalizations of orca whales in the waters of our Salish Sea. Using underwater microphones called hydrophones to record sound underwater isn't new, but these recordings were made by one of the most advanced civilian listening projects ever established. We are uh, primarily 
is in this project making measurements of the ships that pass uh, through Boundary Pass on their way to Vancouver ports. David Haney is the chief science officer with JASCO, a Canadian company that specializes in acoustic sensing underwater. They're part of a multi-million dollar project funded by Transport Canada to record and study the underwater sound profiles of ships. This spring, two hydrophone arrays were deployed off Saturna Island in Boundary Pass that allow them to not only record sound, but determine its location with a high degree of accuracy. So the reason why ship noise is so important is because whales, like our endangered southern resident orcas, use echolocation to hunt. So the noisier it is underwater, the harder it can be for them to eat. So far, they've recorded the sounds of almost 11,000 ship movements in what's likely to become the most comprehensive database of its kind. And there's already some intriguing results. A Port of Vancouver program that requires ships to slow down when orcas are likely to be around seems to be promising. So we're, we're saving a lot of, uh, of noise by just slowing these vessels down uh, marginally. For creatures that evolved to hunt in the silence of the deep, understanding how human noise interferes with them may help them survive. Paul Johnson, Global News. Truckloads of hazardous construction material have been dumped illegally in Kelowna. The mess was discovered by a local environmental group, but as Darian Matassafung reports, it didn't take much to identify the culprit. I noticed this school bus sized um, pile of rubbish, construction and renovation, demolition stuff. A shocking discovery by members of the Okanagan Forest Task Force. Chockfuls of hazardous construction material found in Kelowna's lower mission. When I first discovered it, I was absolutely appalled and disgusted, heartbroken. The pile had broken glass in it, boards with nails sticking out, and a lot of people actually use this area to you know, let their dogs run around. The organization's president, Kane Blake, came out to take a look at the mess, and though cleaning up illegal dumps is what the task force does, he says this one isn't typical. In five minutes of like being in the major part of the city, and we're not even into the bush yet. This is uh, an upper-class neighborhood up in Kettle Valley, and this isn't something you'd expect to see in this kind of neighborhood. After closer inspection, Blake says he found something very interesting. We did happen to, in one of the garbage bags, find an address with a name. Um, that was all handed over to bylaw and RCMP. According to Blake, bylaw did pay a visit to the address. And the very next day, this is what the pile looked like. Bylaw did not respond in time for broadcasts, but clearly someone got the message and came back to clean the mess. Darian Matassafun, Global News, Kelowna. A former broadcaster has been elected to Victoria City Council. Stephen Andrew won Saturday's by-election, taking 7,000 votes, 3,000 more than his closest competitor. His election will shake up the power structure in city, capital city, the capital city that is, so sorry. Andrew wants to focus on public safety and he opposes 24-7 camping in Victoria Parks. BC's police complaint commissioner is asking for provincial standards for sex crime investigations. It comes after a woman was asked about the walk of shame by a Saanich police officer after reporting an alleged sex assault. The woman says she felt devalued and disrespected. 
The provincial government arranged a special committee this week modernizing the Police Act to respect others in complex social issues such as mental health and addictions. Tomorrow is the last day to have your say for the proposed SFU gondola. In November, TransLink asked the public to choose their favorite gondola route to SFU. Users can choose between three routes. TransLink says about 85% of people are in support of the project. It would provide up to 25,000 trips a day. The gondola has yet to be approved or funded. Another Metro Vancouver faith organization is helping people in need at this time of year. Islamic Relief Canada volunteers have been putting together winter care kits for the homeless. They include warm clothing, hygiene products, and for the first time, PPE supplies such as masks and sanitizers. And due to a growing need, they'll be distributed not only to local partners in Vancouver, but also in Surrey, Abbotsford and Victoria, and a special focus on the downtown east side. In an effort to kind of fight the opioid crisis, we're training all of our volunteers, over 80 of them, um, by the end of this year with naloxone kits um, to kind of help people out there as well because we are, we are quite active in downtown east side. Close to 300 of the winter relief kits will be distributed around the province over the next two weeks. In a scene that could represent what many want to see happen to 2020, a Washington, D.C. area Holiday Inn hotel was demolished this morning. The Roslyn Holiday Inn in Arlington came down to make way for a new development. Uh, as the first shipment of the Pfizer vaccine arrives in Canada today, our country has passed another grim milestone. More than 450,000 cases of COVID-19 have now been recorded. New, tougher provincial restrictions took effect in Alberta at midnight to help curb the spread. Restrictions will also be expanded in Ontario's York and Windsor-Essex regions as those areas move further into lockdown. The seven-day average of new cases in Canada has risen to almost 6,500. The rate of active cases is just over 194 per 100,000 people. Despite Alberta's new restrictions, COVID-related deaths and hospitalizations are expected to rise into the new year. COVID-19 is now the sixth leading cause of death in the province behind dementia, heart disease, lung cancer, COPD and heart attacks. But with 200,000 active cases, doctors say there will be hundreds of additional deaths in the coming weeks. Death is a late metric. Death is a very late metric. So when you start to see a rise in cases, you wouldn't expect to see a rise in hospitalizations for a few weeks after that. And then you wouldn't even expect to see a rise in deaths until a couple of weeks after that. And the province is hoping the restrictions will reduce the number of new infections. But with Christmas less than two weeks away, the stakes remain very high. Indoor gatherings are a leading cause of transmission, and even if just a small number of people ignore the rules, COVID-19 numbers could continue to spike. Hospitals in Edmonton have already had to cancel non-urgent surgeries and other procedures as they prepare for more COVID admissions. Doctors also say the number of people needing hospital care is expected to double before New Year's Eve. Violence erupted in the U.S. Capitol overnight. 
thousands of Trump supporters who remain convinced the election was stolen, including white supremacist group the Proud Boys, marched through the streets of Washington and several other cities, taking part in heated demonstrations, backing the president's push to overturn the results. Four people were stabbed and one person was shot during the wild clashes with counter-protesters and police. At least 23 people were arrested. An armed man shooting near a, an armed shooting rather near a Manhattan Cathedral. Let me start again. A man was shot near Manhattan Cathedral by police this afternoon. Police say the suspect was allegedly seen shooting near the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. At the time, a Christmas choral concert was in progress on the steps of the cathedral. The suspect was taken to a nearby hospital. No word on the shooter's condition. Doctors treating Brian Mulroney say the former prime minister is expected to make a full recovery. Mulroney was rushed to a Florida hospital Friday night and underwent emergency surgery. In a tweet, his daughter Caroline says that her father is feeling better and is now resting at home. Sources close to the family say his wife Mila noticed something wasn't quite right with her husband and called 911. The Mulroneys are vacationing in Palm Beach, Florida, where the family has wintered for several years. Hundreds of children are missing in Nigeria after gunmen attacked their school. A group of armed men targeted an all-boys school in the northwestern part of the country. Local police say about 200 students managed to escape, but as many as 400 are still missing. Students who managed to flee say the gunmen demanded money and ransacked their lockers. Government troops have reportedly found the area where the gunmen are holding the students hostage. Parents have been gathering at the school in hopes of finding out more information about the fate of their children. Best-selling British novelist John le Carré has died. The longtime novelist penned popular spy thrillers like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. More now on his life and work. Cornwell began writing spy mysteries during the Cold War while he was still in the British Secret Service, and the pseudonym John le Carré was created to hide his real identity. Cornwell gained wide literary attention and popularity in 1964 with his third novel, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, set in a divided Germany. With the money made from that book, Cornwell was able to leave the Secret Service, or MI6, and set out on a literary career that included a number of bestsellers that reviewers said had moved from mysteries to become literature. A number of his books were made into movies. Cornwell's work used the Cold War as a backdrop and painted a world of gritty realism, cruelty, moral ambiguity, and betrayal. Civil servants playing cowboys and Indians to brighten their rotten little lives. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Cornwell has used the Middle East, Latin America, Africa, and the new Russia as backdrops for his books. He introduced the word mole, or double agent, into the popular language. He said John le Carre has no meaning, even though he's told reviewers a number of different tales of how he came up with it. Dan Shenneman, NBC News. A Chinese space capsule full of moon rocks has started its journey back to Earth. These will be the first brought back to our planet since a Soviet Union probe back in 1976. The China National Space Administration says the lunar probe left the moon's orbit today after landing earlier this month and collecting about two kilograms of samples. The return capsule is expected to land in northern China's Inner Mongolian region. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
Oh my goodness, how animal control officers rescued two dogs from a septic tank. We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, thousands of people are bracing for floods on Australia's subtropical east coast. Beaches are closed and authorities are urging people to sandbag their homes. Residents are also being asked to avoid driving after 475 millimeters of rain fell in a very short period of time. A severe weather warning comes after nearby Fraser Island was evacuated due to brush fires last week. If it's not one thing, it's the other, Yvonne. It was a little bit wet today, but not flood levels. No, not flood levels. And for higher elevations, we had snowfall, which is great news for the local mountains. Many of the local mountains got over 10 centimeters of snow. So great news for the skiers and snowboarders. This is a quick shot at Matt McDonald, Mount Seymour, what it looked like. Another shot in Port Alberni. So inland, a few areas and the mountain passes are seeing the snowfall. And then most areas closer to sea level. Uh, Comox Valley, Julie sent us in this one. It was gray out there today and we were tracking that wet weather in the form of rain. We're currently sitting at four degrees. We've got dry conditions reported out of the airport. We're still seeing the potential for some wet weather overnight and into the early morning hours. We've got a northeasterly wind and it's light right now at 15 kilometers per hour. Chance of showers uh, as we get in towards this evening for tomorrow and then it is going to increase once again and that'll be late for tomorrow evening and taking us in towards our Tuesday, Wednesday. So overnight tonight, cooling off to 3 degrees. We've got a mainly cloudy sky and we're actually just seeing a bit of a break in between systems. It'll be a chance of showers and then the heavier precipitation is going to move in late day tomorrow. Highs tomorrow will be closer to 8 degrees. The average for this time of the year sits at 6. Here's the break that we're anticipating. So for the morning hours, just in between systems with that chance of showers, and then we'll start to see the moisture picking up towards the evening hours. Heavy at times, it is going to be a soggy one. Get the rain gear for both Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll see some of the heaviest rainfall and it's snow for higher elevations and for the mountain passes. A glance at what it looks like, so do check in with drivebc.ca. This is along the Coquihalla Summit and a current shot of the snowfall along Highway 99. So if you're heading along the Sea to Sky to Whistler, still an additional two and up to four centimeters. These amounts take us in through the day tomorrow. The Coquihalla will see higher amounts between five and up to ten centimeters. Allison, Kootenay as well as Rogers Pass up to eight and the connector with anywhere between two and up to four centimeters. Now it's a chance of showers along the north coast tomorrow but the winds will be a big weather story. Anywhere between 40 and potentially up to 60 kilometers per hour. The northeastern corners of the province will be seeing light snowfall through the day. Much of the central interior, it's flurries and pushing in towards the southeastern corners. And the heavier snowfall is going to push in for the Thompson Okanagan, but it'll be late Monday night and leading in towards Tuesday. So we still have that snowfall for higher elevations along the mountain passes. All areas across the south coast, so we are going to see a bit of a break, a slight break for tomorrow with that chance of showers. Highs will be up to 8 degrees, quite soggy. Uh, the silver lining, Colleen, we may see a few breaks here and there, especially towards the evening hours where it tapers off to some showers. And relatively warm. Yes, it is nice. Yeah, back up to eight degrees. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Okay, we've seen a lot of dog rescue stories, but this one really stinks. Let me explain. Why? Holy moly. Brenda and Bianca are a couple of lucky dogs, all thanks to Uresi Hernandez from Animal Services in Miami, Florida. She rescued the two after they escaped from their yard and found themselves in a filthy mess. This is a septic tank. The dogs are under water in the septic tank. That's right. They fell into a neighbor's septic tank. And it's covered. 
Their owner, Vanessa Cruz, was frantically looking for them. They weren't chipped and were not wearing collars. Fortunately, her brother in California saw them online at Animal Services. But getting them out of the sewage wasn't easy. I decided to use the, the ladder as like a lever. So I would I grab them with the control pole softly and then just guided them to the actual ladder tried to put it as close as I could, like under here. Mm-hmm. And then me and the the fire rescue, we pushed the ladder down and then they lifted up from the septic tank and then we pulled them out. The dogs are now microchipped and bathed. A sweet ending to a smelly story. I'm sending you lots of love. <laughs> she said if the ladder technique hadn't have worked, she'd have gone right into the septic tank to get them. Look. Your dog's breath smells terrific compared to the rest of them. No kidding. No kidding. Barry, what do you got coming up? Well, the Seahawks kind of stunk last week against the Giants, but against the Jets, I mean, come on, the 0-12 Jets, they weren't going to lose to them, were they? Uh, Of course, and actually a blowout, a very rare thing for the Seahawks. They they rarely blow other teams out, but the Jets are so horrible. Seattle won 40-3, so highlights of that coming up. All right. Thanks, Barry. As Dr. Bonnie Henry often reminds us, getting outdoors can do wonders for the mind, body, and soul. But our options for hiking partners are a little limited these days. But not a problem for one Alaska couple whose bubble includes friends perfectly suited for the backcountry. The winter wonderland of Alaska. Winding trails lined with snow-trimmed trees, making for a perfect playground for the adventurous. There's a reason why we're still doing this after almost 40 years is we really do enjoy them and it gets us out. Most of the time we have them with us. In this backyard, hikers and bikers and their canines among the more common. Today, family Camelidae, suborder Tylopoda. Three sets of four legs to which two onlookers hardly knew what to say. All of a sudden, there's a llama on the trail, a couple of them. That was uh, kind of weird. <laughs> I was like, oh shoot, is that a moose? No, no, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> so uh, that was different. Very cool. I will return home and tell all my family. Phil saw a, an ad in an early winter's catalog, and you may not know what that is, but it was an outdoor catalog, and they actually had a couple of llamas for sale in the catalog, and he showed it to me, and we started talking about that, and we said, wow, wouldn't it be great? They're a wonderful animal, they're a wonderful companion. For the Nicterlines, a family of five, and a unique trek on the trails every single time. Cerveza on my left, and this is Raul, and then that's Julio. The talker down there is Julio. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're the best companions in the backcountry that you can get. They're, they're a, a best fan, friend forever. We feel really blessed to have these uh, public lands and have access that's so close to home. Uh, you know, we're among the luckiest people in the world to live in a, in a place where you can do this. With this crew and this view. Enjoy the outdoors and llamas are just one way to make that experience better. There's nothing quite like it to beat the winter blues. <clears throat> you know, llamas make people happy. <clears throat> they always laugh and giggle and they have a lot of questions. I don't know anyone who's ever been mad when they saw a llama, you know. Help the WHL mascots unite for community. The 
The WHL and the five BC hockey teams are raising funds for children with their Tees for Toys campaign. When you buy a t-shirt, partial proceeds will go to ensuring as many children as possible receive toys this holiday season. WHL.ca slash Tees for Toys for details. This year, more Canadians than ever need a helping hand. Donate today to the Salvation Army Christmas Kettle campaign and help thousands of people who have met hard times. Fillthekettle.com for details. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting. Celebrating 60 years as BC's News. Barry's here now. And Barry, before you get to your sports, uh, I want to let you know that former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick and Ben and Jerry's have teamed up Mm. to create a new ice cream flavor. Yes, it's true. Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp pardon me, Change the World will be available early next year. Proceeds from the vegan frozen dessert will go to help support Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp, an organization dedicated to work towards social change. Change the World is, in case you're wondering, caramel and sunflower butter based and includes fudge chips with graham crackers and chocolate chip cookie swirls. This isn't Kaepernick's first commercial venture, apparently, not with Ben & Jerry's anyway. In May, the Chunky Dunky flavor sent 100% of its proceeds to COVID-19 relief. That's kind of cool. Ice cream does make the world better. It does. There's no question about that. Who's not smiling when they're eating ice cream? (laughs) All right, thanks, Colleen. Uh, Well, after a really poor performance last week against the New York Giants, you knew Pete Carroll would have his Seahawks focused and ready not to take the uh, sad sack New York Jets lightly. And that was certainly the case and more today. The Jets are winless for a reason. They stink like those dogs we saw earlier. And the Seahawks rolled past them 40-3 to today to get their ninth win of the season. Former Jet Jamal Adams hugs for all of his ex-teammates and coaches. Hey, he's just happy he's not on an 0-12 team. First quarter, Jets actually led 3-0, but Seattle answers right back. Russell Wilson finds the rookie Freddie Swain all alone at the back of the end zone. Pitch and catch for the touchdown, 7-3. Wilson has had his trouble with turnovers of late, and this is an ill-advised throw going for the end zone, but well covered and nicely picked off by Marcus May. But the Hawks would not pay the price for that INT. Meanwhile, Adams with the chance for an easy pick off the Sam Darnold throw, but drops it. Hit him right in the numbers. He'll take some flack for that this week, but it didn't matter in the end. Seahawks add to the lead. Beautiful touch pass here by Russell to DK Metcalf for the touchdown. 14-3 Hawks. Now Metcalf, during the celebration, decides he's going to take over for the cameraman. And I guess he can't use a prop in the celebration. That cost him a 15-yard on Sportsman Light. Seahawks keep coming. Chris Carson hops through the hole. Five-yard touchdown run, 23-3 Seahawks. Now, former BC Lion kicker Sergio Castillo kicked for the Lions in 2019, had a miserable day for the Jets. Missed three of four field goals all in the first half, and that kind of uh, record will not sustain his NFL career. You have to feel a bit bad for him. with that performance. But Seahawks put the pedal down in the second half. Wilson to the tight end, Will Disley, bulls his way in for the touchdown. That made it 30 to three. Still third quarter, Russell with his fourth touchdown pass of the game. This one to David Moore, 36th touchdown pass pass of the season, a new career high for Wilson. Seahawks blow out the hapless Jets 40 to three as the Hawks go to nine and four. They visit Washington next week. 
Meanwhile, Drew Brees still out at least one more week for the NFC-leading Saints, but Taysom Hill 3-0 in his absence, but that changed today against the Eagles of all teams. Philly made some big plays, none bigger than this 82-yard touchdown gallop late in the first half, and the Eagles are shocking the world, leading 17-0. They led 24-14 after the uh, Miles Sanders touchdown, but the Saints weren't done. They recovered a fumble, and then Hill fires 20 yards to Jared Cook for the touchdown with 84 seconds to go. So it's 24-21. They need to recover the onside kick, and they almost got it. This one does touch one of the uh, Eagles, so it's a live ball, but the Eagles do recover. Saints lose 24-21, drop to 10-3, and and that's great news for the rest of the NFC teams chasing them, including the Seahawks. Packers and Lions, Green Bay with a chance to clinch the NFC North and move ahead of the Saints with the win. Aaron Rodgers, quick hitter to Devontae Adams, and he does the rest. Just a tremendous burst to outrun the secondary. 56-yard touchdown for Adams, who had seven more catches, 115 yards. Now 14 touchdowns on the season. Rodgers, three TD passes, and this touchdown run as the... In 31-24, they go to 10-3, they clinch the NFC North and move ahead of the Saints into the number one seed in the NFC. Arizona Cardinals fighting for a wild card spot in the NFC as well, taking on the Giants, who of course upset the Seahawks a week ago. Kyler Murray and the Cards own the first half. Murray to the tight end, Dan Arnold gets both feet down, touchdown cards. They led 13-0 at the half. And it was the defense doing the rest. Daniel Jones back at QB for the Giants after missing last week with a leg injury. May have to miss another after this. Got sacked six times. Cards take it 26-7. They go to sevens and six, and they move into the seventh and final playoff spot in the NFC. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers just seven and five, needing a win against the surging Vikings, who'd won five of six and are black, uh, back in the playoff hunt. Minnesota led six and zero oh in the uh, six nothing in the second until Brady goes deep. Perfect delivery to Scotty Miller, 48-yard touchdown. Tampa out front, 7-6. Third quarter, Tampa knocking on the door again. This time, Brady to Gronk. Rob Gronkowski hauls in the touchdown pass, and the Bucks win 26-14. They go to 8-5, and and they remain the sixth seed in the NFC. Chiefs and Dolphins, Kansas City battling the Steelers for the top seed in the AFC. Patrick Mahomes had an up-and-down day, threw three picks, but he also threw for 393 yards and two touchdowns as well. Launches the 44-yard missile to Tyreek Hill for the touchdown, 21-10 Chiefs. And then their special teams pitched in. McCole Hardman fields the punt at his own 33, takes it to the outside, cuts back, and then explodes down the sideline. 67-yard punt return for the touchdown. Chiefs go to 12-1, clinch their fifth straight AFC West title, 33-27 over Miami. Basketball, Steve Nash making his head coaching debut for the New Jersey Nets, or Brooklyn Nets, I should say. It helps to have Kevin Durant on your side as a rookie head coach. KD's first impression was this, a jam as the Nets take on on Washington in this one. Kyrie Irving and Durant looking uh, pretty connected early. Great long pass from Irving on the money to Durant, who had 15 points in the game in uh, 24 minutes. Irving had 18 as the Nets make a winner of Nash in his preseason.
season debut, 119-115, the final. And we'll have to wait until tomorrow to crown a U.S. Women's Open champion for 2020. Heavy rain made the fairways too muddy to play today in Houston. Japan's Hanako Shibuno has a one-shot lead. She did not even tee off today. Canada's Brooke Henderson well back at 9 over, 13 off the lead. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes taking part in the 12-team QBE shootout in Naples, Florida, playing best ball today. Hughes with the eagle putt here at the 14th. He and his partner, Lantro Griffin, shot a 10 under 62 today, finished the 54-hole event at 28-under, but that was only good for a tie for second. Harris English and Matt Kuchar, who've now won this event three times, were just on another level. English with his second shot on the par 5 from 225, absolutely sticks it to four feet. They finished at 37-under, a nine-shot victory to win the QBE shootout. And English Premiership, first place Tottenham taking on Crystal Palace, first half. Harry Kane from distance put some big bend on that blast from 25 yards out. 1-0 Spurs at half, but in the 81st off the free kick, it'll be Jeffrey Schloop who will pounce on the rebound and Palace steal a point from Spurs as this one ends 1-1. So that opened the door for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side taking on 18th place Fulham. But Fulham got this splendid effort from Bobby Reed, who fires a ripper inside the post. 1-0 for Fulham. Liverpool needed a marginal handball in the box decision to get a penalty. And Mo Salah rescues the point for Liverpool. 1-1 final, so they remain tied at the top with Spurs with 25 points. And we'll finish with auto racing Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Max Verstappen on the pole. Final race of the F1 season. Canadian Lance Stroll gets held up, entering pit lane by McLaren's Carlos Sainz. Uh, the race stewards took a long look at this, ended up costing Stroll a valuable position, wound up 10th, which cost Racing Point third overall in the Constructors' Championship, McLaren taking third. Nobody could come close to Verstappen, gets his second win of the season, 10th of his career. Valtteri Bottas second, and Lewis Hamilton, who is the driver championship, of course, finished in third place. And that is it for sports. Nice. Thanks, Barry. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com. So we know that COVID vaccination sites in BC aren't being publicized for security reasons, but they're likely, well, typically clinical settings to accommodate the delicate Pfizer vaccine, which has officially landed in this country. But Italy, renowned for its design culture, well, they appear to be taking a different approach to their vaccination centers, or they want to anyway. In a promotional video, an Italian architect touts the vaccine as an event like the coming of spring 
On that theme, the architect designed colorful circular vaccination pavilions to be set up in public squares across the country. They'll feature the primrose flower, which is the first blossom of spring after a long winter. The architect envisions the temporary structures blooming like flowers on a map of the country as a symbol of serenity and regeneration. COVID vaccinations will be offered in Italy starting in mid-January. Isn't that beautiful? Looks good. Anything but clinical, that's for sure. Well, right. Very colorful. Yeah, exactly. Really quick look at our weather. Uh, we do have the rain that is going to move in, but that'll be later for the day. So mainly cloudy with the chance of showers. Tomorrow, likely one of the drier days, and then it picks up wetter at times for Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, joy. All right. Uh, we would like to wish our Jewish viewers a very happy Hanukkah with many celebrating online this year. Don't let the light go out. Beth Israel Synagogue and others held menorah candle lightings last night over Zoom, a chance to celebrate this holiday together while staying apart. Various temples will hold ceremonies until Thursday. In-person gatherings are, of course, banned in the province until January 8th. And that is the news hour. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes and have a good night.